Do not confuse this with treatment or mental health advice or direction. Nothing on this podcast is made to supplement or supersede the relationship and direction of your mental health caretakers. Although David Koslowski is a licensed marriage and family therapist, he is not functioning as a certified mental health professional in this environment. And same applies to any professional who may appear on the Light, the Fight podcast. Welcome to the OG Therapy. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of OG Therapy. As always, I'm your host, David. And as you guys have been figuring out, I've been doing some guests lately. Last week we had Kenneth Scott, a good friend of mine and a former University of Utah wide receiver. And today we got another special guest, another OG in his own right, Mr. Robert Johnson. Rojo. Yo, what's good, man? Great to see you, man. I'm glad uh, you're able to come over and, and just hang out with me for a little bit and share some of your knowledge and wisdom in life. Because in this podcast, um, when I interview people, I strictly only in, am interviewing people who are actually OGs. People who've been there, done that, and lived to tell the tale. And you, in my opinion, from all the work that you've done with youth in recent years, from your extensive athletic career, uh, playing in the NFL, playing in college, and just being a great dad, have always been an OG, in my opinion. And so when I talked to you and you said you want to come on the podcast, I was super pumped. I was excited because... I got a good feeling that you're going to share some knowledge and some wisdom with us. But as we talked about before the podcast, knowledge and wisdom, at least the best ones, don't always come through the easiest times in life. They come through difficult times in life. So thanks for being on the episode. I really appreciate it, man. Well, no, I appreciate y'all for putting me on. And on top of that, I mean, make me feel old when you say OG, because I remember thinking about OG. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's a blessing to be called that and also having people that, that care about me enough to allowed me to be on here and kind of tell my story, which is definitely something that's big for me. So I appreciate it. Well, yeah. And so let's start with that. Just just give us a little, um, to all of our listeners, give a little heads up because the guest thing is is new for me. I've been doing the Light the Fight podcast um, for over five years now. Um, my former host, uh, co-host with me, Heidi Swap, she and I did it for a long time. And in recent months, we've been doing different things. And so for me, having guests on the podcast is exciting for me. But it is definitely new. And since I haven't had guests on the podcast in the past, a lot of people, and I'm not active on social media personally, so people don't know who my friends are, who the people I mess with, my circle of people. And so I wanted to highlight you as one of those people, but I also want people to have a little bit of background information on you, where you're from, how you got to Utah, how you know how you got this place that we even actually met. And then after that, we can get into... Uh, sharing some knowledge and wisdom with uh, our listeners out there about how they can get through difficult times in their life, but also just being an example, not just talking about it, but actually being about it. That's good. Uh, where do I start? <laughs> yeah. So first of all, why don't you tell everybody where you're from? I know the hat does a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. I have to, I have to hold it down, you know, cause that's our, that's our stuff. You know, yeah. OGs oh, gotta be original from LA and that's where I'm from. So, um, you know, going back into that born and raised in Los Angeles, California, um, bounced around from South Central to Watts my whole life. Um, big family. It's a it's seven of us, five boys, two girls. Which where do you, where are you at in that? I in fall that right in the middle, right, right in the middle. Flat in the middle. I got three older brothers, a younger brother, and two younger sisters. So I'm right in the middle, and um, like I said, born and raised in the inner city. And uh, the common theme, or people that think that's like normal, it kind of grew up on it. Like my father was killed when I was young. My mom took care of all of us, and single parent homes is very very common. You know, um, single parent with seven kids though. Yeah, yeah, and that's and. And that's why she's a super mom. Like she, she is. She's a super mom because my dad. The stories I've heard, like my dad was the breadwinner, which is the way it was back in yeah. the day. You stay home, take care of the kids. I'm gonna make sure to take care of everybody. 
you just be, you know, be that that rock, that that soul, you know, that's there. And when the passing happened, it kind of changed up. And my mom had to show us that she could do roofing. She could do construction. <laughs> she could whoop our ass too. You know, it was just kind of one of those she, things. She, she had hands for everything. Yeah, exactly. Like she was a disciplinary one and she was the one that was the loving one. And when you grew up in the inner city, like we always talk about, it takes a village. Yeah. And we leaned on the village a lot of the inner city uh, streets. We, 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 we leaned on them a whole lot, you know, but um, yeah, growing up in that and then three different middle schools, three different high schools, and then went to the nearest junior college, walked to the nearest junior college, um, last game of the year, my second year, uh, Kosataki. He's over, you know, down south, but I love Kosataki, man. He was so real he, quick, just so everybody knows, um, Kalani Sataki is who you're referring to. Yes, because yep. some of our listeners aren't big football oh, fans. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And that's why it's a good introduction for you. <laughs> I, so yeah. Kalani, so tell me a little about Kalani Sataki. Yep, Kalani Sataki. Um, I mean, he's currently the head coach at Brenham Young University, BYU. But going back into that, yeah, Kosataki, he came down. Uh, picked up somebody from another team. He was looking at another person from um, Citrus College. He was looking so he at... wasn't there to see you to recruit you. Oh heck no! So because <laughs> the way recruiting works in college is college will send out coaches. They go and view some talent, and every now and then they see someone on the field like, hey, that kid can play. Like, what's that kid's name? So honestly, is that kind of what happened with you? Honestly, that's exactly what happened. That is the exactly what happened about like you know you hear that you hear that term of like doing the right things. And right things kind of happen. It's like you kind of put yourself in opportunities way. That's what I always told myself. And it just was a crazy situation. It was just so crazy that coach come down, Coach Kalani Sataki, he comes down. And at this time, he was currently our linebacker coach at the University of Utah at that time. Yeah. And he came down to watch somebody from Citrus College, which is another junior college that's very popular. Oh, it wasn't um, even anyone on your team. No, it was, it was the other team. It was the other team. Okay. Yeah, it was the other team. It was the other team. And, um, we, we didn't have a good season, but we was playing against a team that was very popular when it comes to Division One scholarships. They had a quarterback that can They produced to, a lot of good athletes. Yes, yeah. yes, and they had a quarterback that was committed to Florida at that time, and they had a, um, they had a linebacker that was, that was a monster, that was a bounce back from Alabama, and he was a monster. He was a monster kid. And um, they had a couple of people that was, you know, I can't remember some of the names, but they had some people. Yeah. They had some people. And Kosataki comes down to watch uh, Josh Broden, from, and he was a cornerback for Citrus College. And I just remember I was having a normal game. And this is my second year. Um, this is my second year at my university, but first year playing football. Okay. Because my oldest brother, my older brother wanted to play with me. And we was like, let's do it. Let's make it work. Um, the coach comes down and after the game, he's just like, I know you got a lot of people talking to you. I'm like, no, nobody's talking to me. He said, really? Like, do you have film? No, I don't have no film. Like, can I get this game film? Did you have cleats? <laughs> Pretty much, right? It's like, it's like, <laughs> I'm like, because I could totally see you because knowing your personality, you're just like, I'm just playing football, having fun. Like, you no. didn't really, like, you weren't like, okay, I got to post on this social media yes. to try to get attention. You weren't trying to get recruited. You no, were just trying to play football. 100% correct. Okay. It's like going back to what I was just was mentioning about how um, high school, I went to three different high schools. I had that moment in life where I almost didn't graduate. And, like, my mom said the magic words of, like, you know, I'm very disappointed in you. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's that hits you deeper. It, it stings yeah. way deep, deeper to hear your mom say that, where it's like I'm one of the brothers that almost didn't graduate. It's like I got to do something. So then I walked to the nearest junior college, which was Los Angeles Southwest Community College. Yeah, I walked to that one. And then my first year I ran track just to stay in shape. But the goal was to get my AA degree or my Associates of Arts degree under two years. I was like, I'm going to figure out a way to do that to for my mom, you know, so like I said, the first year I didn't play. I just ran track. Second year, my brother said, I'm about to play. You should come play. Cool. Let's play. 
And then this is like the season is going not the way we want it to go, but I'm having fun. Yeah. I'm having fun playing with my brother, Elijah Johnson, playing with him, uh, playing with EJ. That's what we call him, playing with EJ. And he played receiver, and I played athlete. I was kind of like corner, safety, linebacker, receiver, tight end. I kind of played it all, and it was just like having fun, really having fun. And the last game of the season, knowing that our season was about to be over, Coach Sataki approaches me with this crazy idea of, do you have film? <laughs> and it's like, no, I don't have film, man. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's just like, okay, I'm going to get this film and take it back, and we're going to do some talking. I'm like, yeah, whatever. I grew up in the inner city. The trust factor of believing what somebody is going to do, it never really happened. You had people selling you with a lot yeah, of talk, but yeah, didn't really follow yeah, through It's a lot. always like, like I love L.A., love my hood, but it was um, one of those things of in L.A. It's really one of those, I scratch your back, you scratch, you scratch mine. So what I look like, believing a Polynesian coach at that, that I don't even see Polynesians in my neighborhood like that, but he tells me that there's an opportunity that I can go to the state of Utah. Uh, yeah, whatever. You know, he comes back two weeks later and he just like, yo, like the coaches like you, but I really like you. Would you come to Utah if we was to offer you a scholarship? Nonchalant. You know, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. You know, like give me a scholarship. I'll come like whatever. You know, I don't care. And he By said, the way, just so you guys know, this is not the typical recruiting story. <laughs> no, no, heck no. If you ever have a kid that got a D1 scholarship, this is never the story. This yes. was like an accident that was like a beautiful accident. It's just, yeah, it's yeah. happened. It's just at the right place at the right time and it just happened and it's just like coach like i'm gonna give you a plane ticket you need to make sure to get there so you can come to utah. did you even know where utah was at no and that's the craziest thing is that he asked me because so you know you, it's it's not on the west coast it's inland see, but, but he asked me so do you know about utah i said no and he's just like are you serious i'm like yeah i don't i say even on the map it's like i grew up in the inner city all i know was my hood i don't know much about like beverly hills that's in los angeles like i went to beverly hills twice my yeah. whole life and i'm 35 it's a now. small world yeah i only went twice it's like go and go see the beach i've been to the beach maybe maybe five times out of my whole life when everybody come to california the beach the beach the beach it's like when you're in the inner city the beach is really far but as you get older it wasn't that far. You just have to explore. Yeah. But it's hard to explore in L.A. when things is going on in the inner city. Yeah. But going back to like coach asked me about that and he's just like, I'll have a plane ticket for you. I'm like, yeah, OK, whatever you say. And I go to the airport and I, me and my mom, we all laugh about it because it's like we go to the airport for the first time. And I'm like, OK, just leave the car running. I doubt that it's a free plane ticket that's there for me. You know, I highly doubt it. We go, I go and it really is a ticket. I'm like. With my Shit. name on it. Yeah, like, your name on like, it. Yeah, I was like, it's really a ticket. I go back to my mom, like, well, I'm going to Utah. And she's just like, okay. I'm like, all right. Have you ever been on a plane? No. And it's like, wait, what? Mom, we never been on a plane. She's like, yeah, no, we never. But what you going to do? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just going to jump on this plane and see what happens. First time on a plane. First time leaving my neighborhood. First time seeing snow. I'm a 20-year-old getting wow. on the plane, coming to Utah, which was just like, a that was shocker. a leap of faith. Yeah, it Huge was a leap of faith. It, it was. It, it turned more into like, I have an opportunity to go do something different. And it feels like he believes me enough. He, he left. He got a damn plane ticket for me. Like he believes in me enough to kind of see that it's something about Made me. you almost believe in yourself a little bit more. Yeah, it, it changed. It changed a lot of my confidence because at that time I'm like, nobody know me. I'm just yeah. here. You know, like I'm one of the inner city kids and I'm just. You're like, everybody in my neighborhood is fast. Yeah, yeah. Like, my brothers like, were all good athletes. Yes, and it's like, I'm not top tier. Like, yeah. you know, I was in high school, and I've seen some top tier players that's like, you got USC coming down here. And, like, when you're in the inner city, man, D1 is like, 
USC, yeah. UCLA. That's the dream. That is the dream. That is D1. When you make it to one of those universities, you're set. You made it. Yeah, you made it's it. Like, that's like the NFL for the inner city kids is yeah. making it to one of those two universities because it's like, now I can go do this and do that because yeah. it's like you got the respect in the hood. When you when you do that, you got like, you the man. You the man. Yeah. And like, you saw my, uh, yeah. Okay, <laughs> Utah. All right, you know, like whatever. And then I came and uh, changed my life. Fully changed my life. It, um, you know, first time seeing snow, but first time being around as many white people that I did, it was it was kind of shocking. But the the acceptance of the state of Utah, you know, um, you felt love it, when you first got here. Yes, yes, it was. Um, you hear stories um, about Utah. When you come back from Utah, you hear all these different stories, and um, people make the, assumptions about yes, what they think it must be like there, see and what they hear, and things that they've read. Um, I come up here as a twenty-year-old African American kid that don't know anything but the inner city, and the state showed me love. Like it was, it was a different feeling when I came up here because it didn't feel like I was the outcast. It felt more of I'm accepted for who I am. They wanted you. Yes. People wanted yeah. you around. Yeah. And Kosataki was that biggest, the biggest person that made sure to make me understand, like, it's not about the color. It's about what, what can you do with yourself? Like present yourself in a certain matter, present yourself in a certain way. Don't present yourself as a hood person, but, but, but present yourself as somebody that understands the hood, but then willing to learn what's outside of the hood. Which it, it it helped me a lot, and I came up here and um, life changing. Like I said, it just all of a sudden it was like, okay, I I come back home. I come up here for a recruiting trip, and I come back and confidence. Like we were just talking about, the confidence of somebody wanting me made me feel so good. And then I get back to LA. Especially if you look back at your younger self now, as a grown man, you look back. It's like. A lot of young men, I don't know if you guys knew this, but a lot of young men walk around with this bravado, like, what's up? You know, it's all good. Yeah. But underneath that, they don't have a lot of years on this planet yet. They're yeah. still trying to figure themselves out. Yeah. And the best thing is that I had my brothers that was somebody that I always looked up to that was the closest to my father figure was my brothers. And it was just one of those things of my confidence was built through what my brothers was doing for me. As in they, Rob, you doing good. Rob this, Rob that. But then at this time in, in my life, I didn't feel like a lot of people was noticing me. I just didn't. And um, you felt like for, you almost had to break out of that norm. Literally, literally, that's what happened is that I told myself when Kosataki came and talked to me, my brothers, I let them know, like, I'm going to go to Utah and I want to put my name in Utah. And my brothers, I'm just like my oldest brother that I love to death. He he told me a story. He told me a story after I made to the NFL about how he was nervous for me when I came to Utah. He wasn't sure if that was a good move. He was like, I don't know. And also he couldn't protect you. Yeah, yeah. My oldest brother couldn't. He was the closest father figure that we had out of the whole family. And he just like, you know, I didn't I didn't think Utah would have been good. He said, I, when you said you was going to Utah, I didn't want to tell you no, but I did want to tell you that you have to experience it. But I did have my... I he wouldn't have been surprised if he came back two months later saying, this place is cold. Yeah, yeah. See, <laughs> this yes, is not fun. <laughs> yeah, see, my brother's like, I wanted to protect you and I had to allow you to go out and just experience it. So, man, it just, it changed my whole life. When I came back, the confidence was there. And I'm like, I know that people are watching me. Like, is this, I know people are watching me. Then, you know, I came back home and I just remember telling my mom and my brothers, them, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to University of Utah. Like, I'm going to go up there and I'm going to go up there to get my degree. And that's the main focus. 
call Kosataki on, on my uh, on my chirp phone because you know I didn't have a phone at that time. <laughs> you know, you know that 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 Santa, Santa where are you at? Those. You know, like, yeah, that, yeah, so so you know like, the, chirp I, the chirp, yeah, twenty dollar chirp phone. Oh, I had man, keep the minutes on there. You know, like I I remember using that to to call a coach and was like, I'm going to come up here and um, you know, I just want to make sure that you can promise me I get my degree. Kosataki was like, I can promise you that. Okay. Like football might not be forever, but I can promise you that when we commit to you, we're gonna make sure you get your degree. And that and degree is really a barrier, it opens up a door. It does, it does. And my and my whole mindset was still trying to please my mom of the magic words that she told me in high school, which was I'm disappointed. And she said that the goal was just to get the degrees. And it was like, get my AA degree. I got it right on time. Like I graduated from Southwest, Los Angeles Southwest Community College. I graduated on the 4th of, Ju- of June. I was already on my way to Utah June June 11th because I had everything ready. Yeah. It's like, I'm kind of good. Like, I don't really have a lot of stuff. I got like a bag and I'm going to go up here and we're going to make this work. You know, yeah. I come up here and um, loved it. And, you know, like that that type of pathway that I went to get to a division one university is a strange one. And it's not really a common one for somebody yeah. to be successful. Cause that next year, my junior year, we went undefeated, beat Alabama, beat Alabama in the sugar bowl, yep. went undefeated that year. That was our 2008 Eight. to 2009. And, um, that was one of the best years of my life. Um, one of the toughest years of my life on top of that, because currently our defensive coordinator at the university of Utah, Morgan Scully, he was my position coach his first year as my position coach the year we went undefeated and me and coach Sataki, i mean me and me and coach scally which is morgan scally coach scally we didn't see eye to eye at all it was because and, and and we talk about it we laugh about it like now because we're a little bit older more mature but that that year was the toughest year for me because he harped on weight he harped on being in, being being at class on time. He harped on making good grades. Um, he harped on me being kind of like a clown at practice sometimes, not taking practice too serious. I was really lighthearted, like, oh, yeah, you know. He wanted you to be more like that driven captain that's an example to everybody. He wanted me. He wanted me to be him, and that was one of the hardest things in my life. Was like, I'm not you, like coach. And also, let me guess too, not having a a father in your life. Having some dude that, you know, you don't know at that particular time. Yes. Right. You come in, you're a young man demanding you to not just be great on the football field, but demanding you to do all these other things. Be an all around man. And like for me, like you just said, that was there's that natural. Like you want to resist that. Yeah. That was the biggest thing of like, uh, man, you can't tell me. Like, that's how I feel like, what are you telling me? Like, it's like you didn't make it to the NFL. Like you, you was good here, but you ain't did that was like important. And that's how I felt. Like that, my during year, me and Coach Scally was just bumping heads consistently because the things that he wanted me to do, I did not see that they was important enough. It's like, as long as I'm showing up on this damn field, that's all that matters. It's like what I did last year, it should bleed me over into yeah. my junior year where I should naturally just, you know what I you know what I can provide to the team. You want to allow me to do the way I want to do it, and that's just it. So, so what changed? Because obviously when we talk about the end of your college career, you became that guy. Yeah. So, so well, what, what, what changed? I mean, what fully changed was just like that undefeated season. Um, Cause taking uh, criticism is, is not it, easy oh, to do. No, it's, it's really tough. And like, like, like I said, as being one of the toughest seasons, um, a couple of the players on the team, like it was games. I wasn't even playing. I wasn't playing like the first quarter or playing the second quarter. He, he would take quarters from me. He would take quarters from me or take a half from me. Like we played against Oregon state, that really crazy Oregon state game that uh, came down to the wire on, on during our undefeated season. 
I didn't play the first quarter. I didn't play the, the beginning. I didn't, I didn't start that game, and I didn't start the beginning of the third quarter. I kind of, like, fell in. Like, I was – like, he was – Coach Scott was – to me – I felt like he was he was picking on me and he was teaching me teaching me a lesson. The changing point, the 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 pivot point was the week that we had a week we was in New Orleans getting ready for our Sugar Bowl and was getting ready to play against Alabama, like I was mentioning. Um, during practice, I was running with the ones. I was running with the starters. I'm running with the starters, which is normal. Yeah. I'm like running with the starters is just what I'm you know normal shit. And then he pulled me to the side and was like, okay. This this period, because in football we have different periods, yeah. you know, like for some of, the, some of the listeners, you know, in football we have periods of time of like we run certain stuff as in running seven on seven this period and then running, you know, um, a seven on four this period, you know, whatever. Yeah. And we were in New Orleans and we're practicing at a Tulane College and I was running with the ones on the first on one of the periods. And then the next period, you know, he's like, hey, take a step to the side. And I'm like, wait, what you mean? Like, take a step to the side and let Terrell Cole take reps with the ones and it's just like take reps i'm like no and at that time yeah the hood switch kicked on quick of like no nah, hell no nah. like this ain't happening so right after the right after practice i had a meeting with coach witt and everybody and we talked and we talked it out and my biggest thing and i mean i'm not gonna say all that was said but my biggest yeah. thing was just like at the end of the day i bust my ass this season i refuse to not start this game and it just went back and forth for a little bit but then they made sure to let me understand. They made they made sure to let me know that they wasn't going to do that to me. Like Coach Scally understood how big it was, but he wanted to make sure that I that I appreciate it. And Coach Sataki, make sure I appreciate it. Coach Witt, make sure I appreciate being able to have this, be on this platform. The opportunity. Yes, to do that. And that was their way of teaching you a lesson where they didn't have time to teach you this over a year. Yeah, they didn't. Like, not not yeah. that whole season, but that was the pivot point. And, and I, you were and, taking it personal. And, and I, was, I, was taking, I was taking it so personal. Yeah. I, at that meeting that we had after practice, the love that I had for them, it poured out right at that moment of like, they're not doing this to intentionally get rid of me or hurt me. They're doing this because I need, I need to learn. I need yeah. to I need to understand. And looking that. back, looking back at that young man that was going through, looking back at now because now you are the OG. Looking back at and now, you understand completely what they did. Yes, right. Yep. And you, I, you can and see I the value them, in it. I honor them and respect them for what they did for me for that season. That was something that I felt that I needed right at that moment. I needed that for that season, and it happened. And they didn't take me out of the game <laughs> against Alabama. I wind up, I wind up getting hurt towards the end, but I still had two interceptions and I missed a third interception again, which was kind of common of like I cannot get to that. That wasn't third. a very close game yeah, for Alabama. It was, it was yeah, but we, we had plans. Out, on, yeah. We had plans for them, and um, that changed my life. That changed my that changed my relationship with Coach Scally, with Coach Morgan Scally. That changed our relationship. And um, well, we, I I can say that it it probably made you the coach that you are today. So, yes. um, you know, I've had the pleasure to you work with my son for a couple of times. In fact, um, you work with him this yeah, winter this again, winter. <laughs> um, doing a conditioning and training for for young kids. And I've seen you coach young kids, and I could see how you kind of, even though it's not the same scenario, you kind of take that same approach. Where if it's your own son there, it doesn't matter how athletic the kid is there, you'll be like, no, you get in the back of the line, this kid gets to go, yes. everyone gets their chance, and yep. it's not being like, oh, everybody can be fair. It's like just because you're really good doesn't mean that you're going to get some special extra treatment. You don't have correct. to work as hard as everybody else. 100% correct. And that is. I've and seen you do that with the kids. And I've always. Thank been, you. I watch it. I was like, I like that because 
I know if you're a really good athlete, it can get to your head. Yes, it could. It could, 100%. And, and you start what believing happened. what all your friends telling you, you're going to go to the league, you're this and that. I was believing after my sophomore year that I'm the one that I'm the one that did this, so I should be starting at the University of Utah going into our undefeated season. Nobody should tell me shit. And that's the thing, is that I learned right there at that moment, at that practice, they cared about me outside of football. They cared about me as a person, and this will help you grow. Going into my senior year, me and Coach Scally had a meeting. And we had a meeting, and that was when I was already in the mode of, like, I need to make this relationship work with him. Because yeah. he's busting his ass as a coach. He's doing what he needs to do as a coach. I need to do what I do as a player, as in just following what he needs. We had a meeting, and we had the half, the, the, the half empty, half full type of um, uh, concept of, like, okay, Rojo, I'm going to allow you to be you, but you got to at least honor me as a coach and respect me as a coach. Man, me and me and Go Scally wind up being best friends at that moment. My senior year, like you was talking yeah. about, it became a breeze because me and Coach Scally was able to be on the same exact page. And and me and Coach Scally cracked jokes about it now. Like I think I was one of the players that helped him be even a better coach because he started to understand how to talk to somebody or how to relate to somebody from that's a from different culture, city. from a different yeah, place. Different yeah, and like just completely different. And um, me and Coach, like, because he was the, still pretty young. Yeah, he and, was. Yeah. He was. But then, like, when people was like. Like, this is going way off, off, off the topic, but when Coach Scally, when I found out about Coach Scally making racist remarks or whatever, it hurt me deeply because I'm like, bro, I had the biggest issue with this dude, but I am 100, 120% sure he's not racist at all. So it was just like, what the hell are y'all talking about? Like, he is tough. Yeah, he is for, different. For, for, for those people who don't know, they're listening to this. Uh, this was about what two years ago? It was about two years ago. Yeah, yeah. During like the pandemic, comments, yep. Some comments um, yeah, came out, and um, we don't, you know, we don't need to get into all the details yeah. of it. But apparently, some texts were going back and forth between some coaches, and I believe he copied and pasted something, right? Yeah, that it, he didn't it, say. It, it, it's, but it's, it's something that we don't know much about. Yeah, but one of the African American coaches on the team, from what I heard, was saying, and he was like, "Yeah, he just kind of jiving back with them." Yeah, yeah. Then it came out. Just that isolated piece. People were saying he was racist. And what you're saying is like, trust me, if he was racist, you would have known. Would've, I don't know. Yeah, being from <laughs> you the hood. Been the, like, and the way he treated me, oh, hell yeah. I he wouldn't have loved more. you. You guys yeah. would have never broke bread and been cool yeah, after that. No, and, and, and it's just like when that came out, that really stung me as a grown man and as what I experienced with Coach Scally and go back to that meeting, that meeting that we had going into my senior year. To, he let me know the type of person that he sees in me and what he wants me to, to do for him as well as do for the team. And I did start making sure to maintain my weight more. I started to make sure that I go to class on time, make sure to sit in the front, um, make sure to be respectful, talking to my teammates, being around my teammates. If they're doing something that's shitty, at least letting them know, like, hey, I don't think that's right. And Coach Scali was the one that stood behind me and helped me see it's bigger than football. Yeah. And I love him for that. And I let kids know now that might have issues with them. And the way that he coached and the way that he kind of talks and the way that he, he goes about it, he's doing it because he sees something bigger than football. And him being best friends, like as later when I found out, him being best friends with Coach Sataki, that showed me more of like, this is this is why I came to the University of Utah. That's crazy, that story about Morgan Scally. And, and I, I really, it was really interesting to hear you say that because I knew all that stuff that went down. And I didn't know that you had, I knew obviously he was your coach. I didn't know you had that kind of relationship with him where it was a little contentious at first, but then it grew into a really big, solid relationship. And as we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, a lot of people have different OGs in their life that play different roles at different times. Some people don't have any 
And I feel bad for those people that don't have those wiser people. Because an OG really is someone that they've got at least done enough of things for you to admire them. They have to have enough experience. They have to have enough wisdom. And, you know, hearing that story, it just, it made me think, wow, like having come from the background that you've come from, tough upbringing, seven kids, single mom, no dad in your life, criticism, as I mentioned before, that was going to be difficult coming from any older male figure. Now, I don't mean to transfer my issues on you, but I had that issue because I didn't know who my biological dad was. And it was interesting. I always had this weird thing with male authority figures because except for a couple of OGs in my life, I didn't have males that really talked to me in a way that calmed me down and helped me see what I was doing wrong. It was more like military, like you need to do this, like yelling at me, barking at me. And I don't think anyone likes that, but I know for myself and it sounds like for you, it might've been harder to take, even if it was helpful criticism from an older male figure when you're in that position of like, you're trying to protect yourself, right? You're trying to keep, you know, like, hey, I got to look out for myself because I don't know if I can trust these people. I don't know if this is really someone that has my best interest at heart. And so you finding out that he was close with Kalani, you guys having that conversation, that's a great example, in my opinion, on how diplomacy, communication, and everybody speaking about yeah. what's bothering them, especially men not holding that resentment and speaking about difficult things and getting out there, giving another guy a chance to say his piece without arguing, fighting about it. That's a great story and a great example of how it can really build a lot of bridges, even with someone you thought didn't have your best interest. Now come to find out you said like he's someone really close to your life. So it made me think of the relationship or not having, better of saying it, not having a relationship with your dad growing up and now you being a father. Well, I mean, uh, is 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 a tougher you get what i'm saying as far as like is, the criticism is, goes and like is there anything that like you're looking back on your life going gosh what would my dad do or because since you don't know what he did or didn't do you're trying to tap into some like like dna inside of you like trying to speak like gosh how would he handle a situation how would he handle this how would he handle that and how do you take that into your own parenting right now because when we're talking about criticism you're going to have to give your, your, your kids criticism. You're going to have to make judgments. You're going to have to tell them some hard truths. But knowing you, your personality type isn't that, that steel fist, isn't like shove it down their throat. So how is you being a dad right now, not having your father, how has that affected you in wanting to be a better dad? I mean, it, it, it affects me deeply, to be honest with you. It's, um, it, it's like I have, I have learned and heard it as I was growing up is that it's not a perfect parent. You can never be a perfect parent. It's not a such thing as this is the parent that's for everybody. And this is the level, this is the bar that make you the best parent because you're doing it this way. Every kid is different. And like, I have two kids, I have two sons. I have my oldest, that's Aiden. He's uh, 10 years old and he's almost at that stage where he feel like he can kind of pump out his chest. You don't want those, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, str I'm starting to understand how to deal with that. And then I have a three-year-old and his name is Adonis. And, um, you know, it's, it's really tough. Like um, recently, and we we're just talking about this a little bit recently, um, I'm starting to ask myself some of those crazy questions of like, what would my dad do? You know, like how would, how would he handle this? And like the situation that I'm in right now, how, how, how would he go forward with it? And it's hard because those are questions that's not going to ever be answered. And the only way that I can get through it is by making sure that I'm helping my son help me. I'm helping my oldest because I feel like my oldest is like, you know, when you have your kids or if you do have kids, uh, listeners, it's like, you know, your oldest is where you kind of like do a lot of the, 
we're gonna try this and it fell. It's like, okay, you know, our next our next kid that we have is gonna be the one where we we know not to do it this way. You know, so my oldest, it it has been a little bit tough. Like when he do things that's that's not right. I try to get on him, but then I also try to keep in mind that I can't he's the older brother and he is somebody that I I have to learn from. So it gets difficult because sometimes he do things that's just like Oh my God, like, come on, dude. Like it's it, come on. Like, and I have to re- tell myself not to get too frustrated with it, but this is me trying to learn how to be a father when I didn't have a father figure around other than my mom and the way that my mom kind of, you didn't have a good this. or bad example. No. Yep. I had just a, no I had example. Even. I had just like an even where it's just like, okay, this happens. This is what my mom would do. Okay. Let me try it. But then the new generation of things, yeah. it makes things that's changed completely. So now I'm getting to a point where I have to really take steps back and like try to listen to other people. Like you and me talked a couple nights yeah. ago and we talked about a situation where my son kind of did something that's really common, you know, that's video game related, sneaking around. It's the 10 year old. It's not about a 10 year old trying to, trying to make sure to like, I'm going to go against my dad or go against my mom. It's just He's trying to see where the line is. They're pushing the Testing limits. that boundary. See yes. how far he can take pushing it. Pushing the limits. And I can take it to the level that we were just speaking about of like, I could be like, hey, I'm taking the game. That's it. Nothing else. I ain't got to explain to you. But I I'll give it be, back whenever I feel like it. Yes. Yes. And like, I have to be able to take in some of that advice and take in the opinions and thoughts of others. We talked about it. And you said something that was like, wow, you know, I have to take that step back. And you're not my dad, but you're somebody that's an OG in my life. That's in my mind, because yeah. the way that you the way that you painted the picture of how me and my son just had a little issue, it made sense. But that's the thing is growing up in the inner city, it's not too much that we can just like take from somebody when you grew up in a home where there's no father, there's no, there's no father figure that was there. You it's never like, had to argue uh, about like too much video game time no. with your parent. These weren't, these weren't yeah. problems and issues that no, came up. And like, like being a man, like being a man in general, it's like my mom did what she can to teach us how to be a man. But sometimes it's things. And my mom has explained it to me as I got older. Sometimes it's things that she just couldn't, she can try to, get me to understand but it was so hard to really paint the good picture because she's not a man do you you ever find it difficult and a lot of dads i talked to and i know myself i felt this way that some things that your your son will do that there's this natural reaction to feel like it's disrespectful to you somehow or it's embarrassing (laughs) it's personal towards you but when we like when we talked about the other night we step back it's like Okay, he would be going through this regardless who his dad was. Mm-hmm. Like this is not personal towards you. This is a 10-year-old situation. This is a generational situation. And for us not to take it personal and to be so quick to react, obviously we don't want our, our sons to be, you know, just, you know, you know, cupcakes and like like let them get everything and enable mm-hmm. them. But there's that fine line between being old school, which is like honest and direct with them, versus making things personal when we're disciplining them. Yeah. And that's what I have to always tell myself is that it's not personal. And then I laugh to myself because if I laugh in his face, he think I'm weak. You know, that's what my son probably would do. But then I would laugh to myself where it's just like, this is exactly what I would do. Like, yeah, you know, I would do this. Just like, I get it, son. I get it. He has my blood in him. It's just the way that it goes. It's like, Hey, you took a shot. You got caught. Yeah. Let's deal with the consequences. consequences And let's talk it out because you even talked to me about that. And it was good. Where it's like, I don't want my son to ever feel like he has to be scared of me. And that was one of the things that me growing up, my mom 
I never was scared of my mom, but I respect my mom to a point where it did become scary sometimes. Scared like, to disappoint yeah, her. Yeah, it's, and like that's why it goes all the way back to the beginning of what I was saying about the disappointment. Like hearing her say that, it it affected me as a young child or as a young man. It affected me. So I don't want to do that with my son where it affected him to a point where now he's trying to figure out what's the next outlet. It's like I have to be able to talk to him, be able to understand him. But he's helping me grow as a man as well because – it's um i mean we we was we definitely going to talk about this and this is something that's very important to me is that i did not go see my dad grave until i was what 34 30 33 first like i i went to the grave the graveyard site before when i was a kid but i never really went back because i you know you those are things that um that that's in your life that you kind of close those doors, um, and or you're I, least scared to open them because you don't know what's behind them. You just don't know, yeah. And, you don't want to um, open up Pandora's box when you're 33 years old and have to like deal with some old stuff. 100 percent correct, and um, I believe me going me going to going to Los Angeles to get to get my body checked, um, and something pulled me to my dad's site, and. I knew where my dad graveyards, like where where he was buried. But I you've knew, never been there. But I never been there. I, I never. I couldn't remember when the last time I've been there, and something that day was pulling me there. And I was having a tough relationship with 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 Aiden, my oldest. I was having a tough relationship with him because I was I was snapping really quick to jump in, not thinking like we just was mentioning. And it's it's because I just I was I was just on the edge. I was on edge. And, and you you the, knew you weren't right. Yeah, you knew something was off. Something was off, and that's the worst thing to be as a parent is be on edge when it comes to your your child trying to give you something that's going to help you. Because you know your words don't carry as much weight when you're on edge. You don't yes. have that ability to just just be there just with be them there. at that moment. Everything's got to be like, what are you going to do? How come you didn't do this? It's like, yes, this is anxiety that if you don't accomplish something or if you don't achieve something, even though you're only five, six, seven years old, somehow that's going to reflect upon you failing, not being a good dad. Yeah. And, and, and if it wasn't for that moment that something was pulling me to the graveyard site, I went, the graveyard is, is locked up because it's after hours. I jumped the gate. You know, oh, hey, 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 so I jumped the gate and then it, it's been so many years. I didn't know exactly where it was at, but I had a good, good, like thought of like, this is what's put. It's pulling me this way. You know, it pulled me to an area in this big ass, this big old graveyard site. It pulled me to an area where, you know, you gotta remember, it's a graveyard. It's big. Yeah. It's huge. It pulled me to an area where I was like, I believe he's somewhere right here. And something started. I started looking around, looking at names. And I'm like, uh, these names ain't gonna match up. It ain't alphabetical order, whatever. You know, it's like. But then it was a tree that I, I seen as like, I think I remember seeing this tree as a kid. Go over to the tree, and then little did I know. A couple of a couple of tombstones over his name. It's right there. And I'm like, oh, oh shit. Like that was a weird moment. Yeah, like, okay. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I'm here. Okay, now, you know, it's it's kinda it's kinda dirty. You know, it's kinda like it's not as clean. I'm like, okay, like, you know, what's next? And it seemed like something just took over me of like, okay, start cleaning it up a little bit. And then I just broke down. Just broke down. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't get the words. It, it just. 
it's, it's one of those things that's like you start like thinking like you start thinking and like start thinking like what if you know like the what ifs start to happen and 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 I, I needed that moment I needed that moment because it I was asking questions that I needed answers to but when nobody's talking back to you that shit hit deep it hit deep you know and like I sat there I sat there for I sat there for probably like 45 minutes just just grieving just crying I, I could I couldn't figure out what to say because nobody is talking back to me which is like something I'm not used to. These are emotions you've never even had before. Yeah, these these are the things that's happening and it's just like, what the fuck is wrong with me? You know, like, then... Then it's like, I'm here because that guy is the reason why I'm even alive. But nobody is telling me he's not able to talk to me and then my brother called me. My brother called me randomly and like, what the shit? You you crying? Where you at? Where you at? Like, because... Like, they didn't know I was in L.A. It was more a surprise. My brothers didn't know I was in L.A. And my oldest brother or son, he calls me. And you hear me, like, kind of crying. Where you at? I'm, I'm on my way. Where and I was like, I came to Daddy Gravesite. You know, I came. And I was like. And he probably so, stopped you, you right know, there. And I was, <laughs> you know, he, he stopped. And my brother, he said it. He just was like, like, Rob, you need that. Like, out of everybody in the family, you might be the only one that I didn't see grieve. You need that. And. Take your time. Like if you got to be there all night, be there. Something that's making you do that. And all these emotions just like came in and it came in all at like, it came in at the right moment because I felt like my oldest, he, he was nine and it's just, or he was eight. Aiden was eight and it just felt like I was starting to lose him a little bit with what we were saying earlier. I was so just like on edge couldn't understand things. I was trying to take in him. You're just not, surviving as a dad. You weren't being successful exactly. at that moment. But me sitting there for about 45 minutes, I think it kind of opened up a door in me that was like in my brain that kind of told me like, you're okay. You just, you're going to have these moments. And it, it it was still just tough. It was just, just fucking tough. And like, I told myself every time I go to LA, I'm going to listen to what's pulling me because I feels like I feel in my heart that what pulled me there has helped me get a better relationship with Aiden, which my oldest getting a better relationship with him. And now I'm learning how to operate my three-year-old Adonis because I didn't went through it with Aiden being at that age because I had full custody when he was a year and a half and me having full custody of Aiden, it kind of trained me to be a dad, but I never know what was right or wrong. Like we was mentioning, I didn't know that, but that grave, that meeting at that graveyard site that day for me and my, and my dad, it, it, that was a it, level up. It, it that leveled, was a level. It up. leveled me up to a point of like, what I'm doing is correct, but I have to be okay with felon because I'm not there to help you. Yeah. Like he's not here. And it, 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 it built that relationship. Like we was just talking about of like, the I didn't have. It wasn't that I didn't have. It just happened to be that he's not there to physically show me, but he's happy with what I'm doing. Yeah. But it takes the time and the effort of it's through my sons. It's through them. They're teaching me how to be a good dad. They're teaching me how to learn how to be a better individual because nobody's 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 perfect. You know? And I imagine that must have been a trip too, because Aiden was about close to the same age range at that time than when you were, when you lost your, your dad and for your brother to say, it probably tripped you out to think like your brother's like, yeah, man, you were the only one that didn't really deal with that because you're a little kid, you know what's going on. And so now fast forward, 
you're a 33 year old man. You're now feeling those feelings, but at a perfect time because you look at your son. It's like, dude, if he lost me right now, like that would be like, that wouldn't be fair to that kid. And, and like, I, and I that's, believe that's all that was pushing me to the point of like, you got to do this. You got to do that. And like, I start to see the the disconnection of like my son. And then I was in a relationship at that time and it was just a lot of stress that was all around. But then Aiden do something small. I'm blowing it up because I'm quick. Like, okay, I got, to, but that was in the back of my mind as well of like, I lost my dad when I was, when I was six, he got killed when I was six. And my mom had to step up and take care of all seven of us. She had to, because it was nobody else was going to do it. And it's just like, five boys two girls my mom grew up my mom was the wife that stayed at home because my dad and this is stories that i've heard my dad is the one who's like look i'm gonna go make sure everything is good the 94 riots that uh, was the watts riots um after the um after um rodney king the rodney beating. king beating yep, yeah. the rodney king beating that happened in um, los angeles that was right in my neighborhood i have heard stories that and this is my brothers as well as my mom like my dad, yeah, he went out, he looted, you know, he looted, but he didn't loot just to loot. He went, got shoes for all of us. He went, got clothes for all of us. He did go get a TV from what I heard. <laughs> he went and got a TV. <laughs> he so wasn't the only one. <laughs> yeah, he went and got a TV. I've seen all the videos. <laughs> a lot of people getting TVs. <laughs> yeah, like he went and got a TV or whatever. But my mom was like, during that time when that was happening, he was like, y'all stay safe. I'm going to bring everything I can to the house to make sure that we survive if something was more to happen in the watch. Because that was riot. a scary time. People didn't know what was going to come with that. Yeah, people didn't know that. And like his thing was just, is happening. I got to make sure to take care of the kids. And my mom always said that's what he was one thing that he, he did. He made sure that we was all taken care of. That includes me and the kids. So when he died, well, when he got killed, and it was a, a gruesome murder from now I got older, my mom kind of explained it to me. He was, he was shot six times, and you know that's another story of how that all happened. Like I found out just a couple of months ago of, after finally asking my mom that question of what really happened. Like, I know he was killed, but what happened? And she kind of broke it down. But her thing was like, when your dad was killed, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with y'all. She said, I knew how to grind, but I knew how to grind with my husband on my side. He the one that helped us get to where we was at. And when he left, when he when God told him it was time, it put so much pressure on me that alcohol abuse was something that kicked in and not knowing the next check, not knowing the next meal. When I grew up and what I mean by she will make sure to scrape by and she explained it to me because I seen it at a young age of like Thanksgiving come around. We don't know where the hell we're going to get a turkey from. We don't know where we're going to eat. We don't even know what's going. We don't know if we even going to do anything. And that we wasn't you and her. That was a lot of people. That was yeah. It was like yeah. It's like all of us. But she's the person. She's yeah. the one that's over it. She make meals. Figure out ways. She figure out ways where she would say it herself, and she laughs about it. And it don't dawn on me until me being older and seeing it with my own kids is that she said it's sometimes we won't even have a Christmas until Christmas Day. Or Thanksgiving to Thanksgiving Day. And she said, what I mean by that is that your father somehow up top, he figured things out. And I wind up with a turkey on Thanksgiving Day or Christmas right on the day of Christmas. Got the presents. Yep, yep. She said on the day of Christmas, presents are made. And like somehow, some way, it been like that every single year that he was gone. And as y'all got older, I started saving up some of the money because it's like I don't have to pay as much because y'all older now. But but she said it was always those moments of like 
your dad always figure out a way to send something that's gonna that's gonna slow you down and make you see it. And the more I was thinking about it, and as I'm talking about it right now, that's the sign that I needed of why I got pulled to that grave because he. It's he was something. like, you needed this right now so yes. you can do, because he was providing, he was taking care of you guys, which is, that's like square one as a father, right? That's the prime and, goal. And especially nowadays, it's back in the old days when it was a lot harder just to survive and just to get by, right? Now we have a lot more going for, especially all the hard work you've done with your athletic career, with business and stuff. You've now gotten to the point where providing for your kids, check that box has been checked, mm-hmm. right? Like you're taking care of your kids, providing for the kids. But now there's something else that's required. It's it's something that you can give them that our I believe our parents, our answers before us, it's not that they didn't want to give that to us. They were just too busy trying to get by. Yes. They didn't have enough enough knowledge and understanding paycheck to, to understand paycheck. how to like provide for something else, provide for a little bit more personal details. And you know, I just I'm sitting here listening when you're talking, and I'm like, man, like I I wanna think that like, and I'm sure you wanna think this. That your dad's looking down and in some way, shape, or form, he's proud of you. But I also want to tell you that you learn way more from raising your kids than you will ever be learning from, 100%. than you learn from being raised by your parents. Because you're running back life and watching your kids doing the same things you did. You're like, oh man, my kid's trying to get extra time on the video game when I told him he couldn't. Trying to sneak around. Yeah. And then when you're seeing these things in real time, if you were to react to them, that would be a reaction out of, anger, frustration, that they're doing something to disrespect you. But if you sit back and you watch what's happening, like, well, he is my son. That's the same type of stuff I do. Maybe this is a teaching opportunity instead of just you're a bad kid opportunity. Yeah, see, and I'll give a quick example of my my mom. So we grew up, like I said, we grew up poor and food stamps. And at that time, food stamps was paper, paper stamps. You know, it was paper. It wasn't EBT. You didn't get no ABT. You know, the food, the the coupons. Boom, that's the stamp stamps. Yep, stamp stamps. Yeah, you know, and... um, I remember one time I was I turned ten, my mom gave me a five dollar food stamp, and four and, and and five ones normal like real dollars. Yeah, I was rich. Oh, I was <laughs> oh, I was rich. I was rich, but something something in me told me that I wanted I don't know I wanted to see what a ten dollar food stamp looked like. So I did sneak up inside her room and found a ten dollar food stamp, and I'm like, cool. Let me go spend it and see if I get back cash. I stole it. I took it. I took it and it was, and my mom, I think she, when I took it, I went and cashed it and they, instead of them giving me back food stamps, they gave me back cash. So I went, spent a dollar at that time, 25 cent on chips, you know, the yeah. 25 cent chip bag, that 25 cent Chasta uh, soda pop, you know, bought, bought that 25, that's 50 cent. I like the more Chasta. The 50, then I bought the 50 cent grandma cookies, you know, yeah. that, yeah, see, yeah. so I spent a dollar out of that $10 food stamp. Went, spent that. They gave me back nine ones. I went back, put the nine ones in her, like right back where I got it. Now, I think my mom knew that somebody did. Somebody was fucking. Somebody was fucking around. Somebody yeah. was in my room messing around. Yeah. Me. Somebody did something, and I think she knew that I did it. And when she, and when I know that she knew that I did it, she didn't address it as in like spanking me, like or discipline me, like grabbing the belt, which is something that was normal in my household. Grabbing the belt. She pulled me to the side and talked to me about it, and she said, "You know, you did something I was." Up, but you did something that can, that was beneficial because I couldn't use the food stamps for something else, and I and you put some cash there. I was able to use the cash, but that was still up. You don't do that, you know. You yeah. don't. You come talk to me about it. Now, my son, fast forward, being a parent, 
my son then went and took some took some quarters out of one of my little quarter machines. I kind of like put quarters up beside you. He yeah. took it out. We go to the Smith's market and he like, I want to buy some candy. I'm like, you got candy money? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Uh, and I started thinking like, where did you get that money from? Money from? I'm like, where did you get that? He said, oh, I just found it around a house. You found it around a house? I don't have money around a house like that. Well, I, I did. I found it around a house. The next day, I was like, let me just go to my quarters and see. And I like did the math on my quarters. Yeah. I'm missing quarters. Yeah. And I was going to snap. I was going to snap on them. We're just like, you're stealing from me. You don't spoil. But then I had to think back to what my mom did to me. And I had to flip it. I had to flip it to make him understand that it's not right that you took it from your dad. It's not right. But you helped me because then it made me recount the money. And now I know how much I have. Yeah. But it still wasn't the right thing. But like you just said, you learn as a parent from your kids. My mom taught me a lot of things and I learned a lot. She planted then, the seed. Yeah, but then the seed didn't grow until looking at Aiden. And he did the same shit that I did. And it just was like, bro, like, really? <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? Like, my dad got to be looking down and saying, you, just, you needed this one. So this actually brings me uh, up to something I wanted to do uh, with you today on the podcast. Um, a little segment. This is a OG word association. So what I mean by that is, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of word association games, but someone will say a word and then you just say the first thing you think of when they say that word. Okay. Um, I've been doing this for a long time in different scenarios, just a little thought experiment type of thing, but also it's a good way to get uh, just like heartfelt stuff out of someone just with one word. Right. Okay. So, is it, uh, is, is it, a, is it a, a right or wrong answer? No, no. So right when I say it, right when I say the word, I would just want you to say the very first thing that comes to your mind. Okay, cool. It could be like basically like one word or one sentence back. And then you can talk about it for a little bit after that. But I just want to, what's the first thing, the first thing you think right when you hear this? Okay. Ready? Yep. Watts. Home. Like it's, it's home. And what I mean by home that taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. Like Watts is part of South Central. And most people that grew up in Watts, it's a small percentage that get out. And um, it was my home. And that was, it's not it was, it still is. I love being part of Watts and knowing that that's my hood. And it helped me grow as an individual because you see the rights and the wrongs. You start to, I definitely start identifying friends and associates. Because I grew up in Watts, I started to understand like some of my friends is the ones that's going to help me get to where I need to go. They're going to push me. They're going to they support me. You know, they happy for me to do something different that's positive. But Watts also showed you the people trying to take advantage of you and the, use you. The people that's associates, yeah. the ones that's like they're there and they like you, but they don't want you to do better than them. If you're doing better than them, it's something wrong. Like you're you're bougie. You're different. You don't belong here. You're not part of you're not part of this hood. That's why I watched was something that was big for me because it helped me identify friends and associates and like God blessed me with bringing coach, bringing, bringing coach Kalani Sataki to the inner city, to the hood and showing me he was, he was my friend first and him being a friend, he motivated me to be so much better. So watch is always going to be my home and it's going to always be something that I'm pride for. But I'm also proud for all the different experiences that it gave me, whether it was negative or positive. Because I didn't got shot at before. I didn't got a gun pull out on me. But something about that hood that I would never, ever be like, oh, I don't know. I still go back. Well, and and you know, I'm going to take a guess that you're very happy that you've been successful enough and worked hard enough that you don't have to raise your kids in the same situation that you're raised in. 
But it also seems like it's, it means a lot for you to make sure that you make sure Watts is part of their, part of their life experience yes. growing up, not just taking them there, but the lessons that you learn from there, make sure they get the lessons without having to le- live in, uh, yeah. in, in, in the midst of the drama. Every summer, Aiden goes back, goes back and goes stay with my brother every summer. And then my brother take him to the park that I grew up and I play football at as well as my brothers play football at. And they're there, they're yeah. in there. And like funny when my son, I call him one summer, just last summer, and quick story, he just like, he like, oh yeah, dad, you know, there's it's a whole lot of black people here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, um, you know, well, you're back, you're back in LA. He said, yeah, I'm just saying that. And then one of my good friends that's still in the area calls me up randomly. Hey, I see this kid and he looked like your kid. Is this, is this Aiden? And I'm like, what park you at? You're like, I'm at, I'm at Ted Watkins, which is yeah. the park that we grew up at. Real Rogers, but they changed it to Ted Watkins. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's my, that's my son. He said, oh, well, I know now. And he said, hey, come here, come here. And he like, he said, hey, I'm your uncle. Like, whatever you need, come talk to him. And I just was like, see, that's the type of respect that. That made you feel good, it made huh? feel good that I know that in Watts, my son, my friends, they, we sold, we know each other so well. And we always been at that park that some of them are still there, that they see Aiden, that, don't even know the difference other than this kid look like somebody and it's like this is your kid i'm gonna make sure he's taken care of i got that, you rob that's what i miss about having a small community yeah that's what i the miss village. about everybody know each other in the neighborhood because yeah. if you're gonna pop off to someone you better be real careful because you can yeah. see him later on that same yeah. day this ain't online type of drama yes yes okay yeah. i got another word for you mm-hmm. okay family it's my immediate family like my family is my brothers my sister and my mom that's my immediate family and then my nieces and nephews they all come in handy but what's the first thing you think of when you think of your family i think of family i think of together like uh tough times tough times and um my mom has always always said we can have nothing as long as we're together we're good and she always felt like no matter how this world will happen or how it seizes or how things go, if it's, if it's at least two or more of y'all together, you're very strong. And seven of us. So, you know, like this, this Thanksgiving is going to be my first Thanksgiving with my family, with my immediate family, well, my brothers, my sisters, and my mom. We haven't had a Thanksgiving together since about before when I before I before I went to came to Utah. So I left LA two thousand six. I didn't have a together Thanksgiving until probably I was in the ninth grade. So that's probably two thousand two. Yeah. It's been that long. And from two thousand two to going all the way back to when I was born, every holiday my mom made sure we was together. Every holiday. Because it was so important to be together. Like, like we made it. Like yes. we got out of that she, situation that passed. Her thing was just we gonna be that's the most important is together. It has to be two or more. If it's two or more, the most powerful person in the world, you Johnsons. Right. You know, this is what happened, your Baileys. Just you're two or more. And this I'm excited about this because I'm taking Aiden and I'm taking Adonis. And like, you know, we bought this we bought to break bread. Yeah. We bought to really like do it the way that the old times. They're going to get to hear all the stories, the yeah. uncles, the aunties. Yeah. And Those are the best times I remember as a kid watching all the older people Just at the talk. barbecues, big family. Those are my favorite times because you get to like listen to their experiences because, you know, they just see you as, as their dad. 
they're gonna get to hear lots of stories about you as being a punk kid too. Yeah, right. And then it just runs deeper. It runs really deep because when you having all these family get-togethers and some families and you know they have family reunions and mm-hmm. things like that. My family, we don't have family reunions because it gets yeah, tough maybe. when you bring yeah. uncles and you bring cousins into the mix because my family household, alcohol is one of the biggest things that kind of plays a big factor in the get-togethers. And sometimes the alcohol can bring out the worst in some people. And then it can ruin the whole entire it point ruins, you're together. It, it, ruins, it ruins the good moment of us being together and turn into some like wolves almost of like, but you did, you did this. I'm, you know, this, this, that. So this is going to be a really good experience because it's my brothers, just the tight part of the family, my sisters, and and it's just us. <laughs> yeah. so, so that's going. So it's that's great. Together, that's what I think about family is together. Two or more, you good, powerful. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, making those memories with your boys too. Yeah. Okay, uh, got one more for you. I don't know why I picked this one, but after this conversation, they everything I picked a good one. Aiden. Man, he the like I, he he the he the prince. Like I I explain I explain to him, I explain to my I explain to Aiden a lot. Like um, you know like um, when I'm not on this world, you know I'm not on this planet. You know I kind of tell him like everything that I have tried to install into you, I'm really hoping that you pull it to your brother. Like I'm really hoping, you know, because you know God has a number. Like I tell Aiden all the time, God has a number and um. You know, it's, it's going to happen no matter how much I try to avoid it. It's, it's a number. We're all the time. Yeah, it's We're a all date. It's a number. And um, Aiden, it's your job. It's your main job to uh, push everything that I have tried to show you. You need to do the same thing. It's like, sorry, I'm like get emotional about it because I talked to him a lot about this. And You want him to finish like, what you started. It's not even really finished what I started. I really want him to represent me and the family, like his uncles and his grandma. And his grandpa, you know, you got to hold it down. <laughs> you got to. It's like, why did you go through all know, that to not give him those blessings and those gifts and take care of the family? Yeah. And um, a quick story that me and him had, I let him go to I let him go to Vegas with my mom for a couple of weeks. And um, I went and picked him up and I'm driving. We're driving back. And um, I guess my mom kind of talked to him a little bit about my dad. She must have said something. And something was something stuck with Aiden. And. And at this time, my mom never really talked to me about my dad as much because of everything that happened. But we're driving back from Vegas, and Aiden, uh, I got the sunroof open, and we're driving, and he just randomly, and this when he was younger, he just randomly was like, hey, dad, like, you know, where's your daddy? And it was just You're like, like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, I was like, uh-huh. And he said, well, where's your dad? I'm like. Well, well, you know, Grandpa, he he had to go, you know. And at that time, I I really it's it's ever nobody ever asked me that when I was when I, at that time because I don't talk about it. And this was before I went to the graveyard site when I was thirty three. This was around thirty, I think. And me and Aiden just kind of going back. And um, and I was like, oh, he, you know, he, he Grandpa, he just kind of went away for a little bit. And Aiden was like, so he got to be up there in the clouds, kind of looking down, which means that he's he's gonna he's gonna help you help me. You know, and I, I was just like, it's like, dude, like, how do you know this? And he's just like, well, I'm just saying that, like, you know, like the clouds, they move, right? And the, and the clouds, they got to do something with you to kind of help me. So when I hear Aiden, I think about that story. And I think about as the years has progressed that Aiden has done some, my son has done some amazing things with me, <laughs> with me. It ain't 
he done some amazing things because I taught him. He done some amazing things. But he's taught me. you a lot he of things by just being alive and being in your life. Yes, he has. So when I hear Aiden, it's like I'm really hoping and praying that no matter what happens with me when I'm off, when it's time to go, I'm hoping that he pulls in everything I taught him and get his brother in line because that, at the end of the day, I love my love my sons. And Adonis is, is the most amazing kid ever, my youngest. But at the end of the day, big brother is going to help you. He's going to get you to where you need to be. Just like in my situation, my three big brothers helped me get to me where I need to be. My brother, my brother, Sonny, my brother, Wayne, and my brother, EJ, Elijah, they helped me develop this character that I am. So it, it, it's here, Aiden, it's like the prince. I got to hope that he become the king, but prince is like the Lion King, like the movie. It's really, I thought about that a lot, like that movie. That father-older-son yeah, relationship that, father, yes, that, that, that we've talked about. And my listeners know because I've done lots of episodes on it. It really is a very interesting relationship because no father wants his son to be just like him. You want him to be better. Yeah. Because he, he can be. The yeah. potential of being better than you, if you do your job right, you're going to upload all the great data for him, give him all the things he needs to know so he can take it to a whole nother level. Yeah, and like that Lion King scene of just like Simba is waking up to dad. Dad, dad, get up. Dad, dad, get up. He's going to show up. Every time I think about that, <laughs> I think about Aiden because I'm like, that's kind of how it is in life is that I have to be able to get up but for him, he's not gonna let you rest. No, he's not. But it's just like I have to get up and show him everything that I learned from my brothers and my sisters and my mom, and I gotta install it into him. And it's like you gotta be able to push what I did even better to your brother. So he's the prince. <laughs> I love him. I love him, man. Well, I tell you, what, I, I I think we hit a good sweet spot there. I just want to thank you again for coming on the podcast. Thank you, though. And um, I'm really excited to be working with you in the future. You know, we'll we'll be letting uh, people know some things we got going on in the future with this whole entire OG therapy thing. Um, yes. I, I just, from day one, for those of you who don't know, because I don't think we mentioned it, so most people, in fact, no one would know, uh, he came and visited my quit trip and support groups a long time ago. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I, I think it's it's safe to say that some former players at the University of Utah, there's a good fraternity you know, we try to help each other out as much as we could, but it really meant a lot to me that you would drop what you were doing in your busy life and come just to hang out with a bunch of teenagers. And it really meant a lot to me. So I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for this. I want to thank you for all the great work you know with the youth. And I'm also excited to be working with you with uh, some OG therapy stuff 100%. in the future. And uh, this guy's got the juice. He's got the skills. And you're nice. at that place now where I want you to be able to, to really do what you're really meant to do on this earth. Yeah, you're an entertainer in football. You're an athlete. You did all those things. You're charismatic. Everybody loves you. But something about the way you talk to the kids, something about the way you share information with them, not only makes you an OG, but it makes you a dude that people want. It's like you're not you're the guy that people don't want to disappoint. Kind of like your mom. It's like you're not trying to flex on people, trying to say, you better do what I told you, cut or else. It's almost like if some if the kids disappoint you, my son, he, by the way, I told him I was doing a podcast. Rojo's like, you're doing a podcast with Rojo? Let's tell Rojo. I said, what's up? It's just something about you that people are like, I want to make you happy. Like you, you brought out the best of my son. You brought out the best of all those kids there. And so thank you again for being on the podcast. And 
Uh, got some things coming up in the future with OG Therapy, and you're going to be bringing your best to a lot of young people, but also people in the business world and also other fathers just trying to just trying to do what you've already done and what you've already gone through. Well, I mean, I appreciate being here. I mean, if it wasn't for our boy Brandon Cash, you yeah. know, if it wasn't for Cash, that kind of, I we got connected, like, through just video gaming. We got connected, and it just, it just kind of, the friendship kind of went off to a higher level. And Brandon Cash, he the one that's like, I got a friend that I know that you'd be good with. And then we went to dinner. Me and him went to dinner first. Me and Brandon, I went came to the house for a birthday party. I think it was a birthday party for either it was a birthday party for you and yeah. a birthday party for Brandon Cash. And I met his mom and the family and everybody. And it was like, you know, let's let's do this. Then he introduced me to you. And it was just like, you know, those vibes, those yeah. the, the, those vibes and that wave, it's like, you know genuine people. So yeah. I'm just big and, and feel blessed to be part of this because it ain't such things that's going to pop. This is going to be good for all of us. Thank you, man. Heck, I, I did. You, I'll look, I'm not even, I'm going to shut up. That, that was a, <laughs> let's end it like that. I can't, I can't, I can't top that as well. Say, well, I will be seeing you very soon. Oh, heck yeah. And yeah. Uh, until next time, well, we'll have you back on the podcast again, but until oh, yeah. next time. I'll rip it up. Yeah. <laughs> until next time, be cool. And as always, guys, thank you for helping us to light the fight. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.